It is a joy to sit up here and watch you as you were singing along. Steve, I think you might be able to recruit several of them for the choir. Sounds good to me. I knew it would. Well, today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts. Our purpose is to look at the church that Jesus established so that we can compare our church and ask the question, are we a New Testament church? I think it's probably obvious to you already that the church Jesus established was extremely outreach-oriented. It was very evangelistic in its nature. But there are two groups of people we have difficulty witnessing to or reaching out to. One is good people and the other is bad people. Today, however, we are going to be breaking bad. We're going to look at bad people. And there are those people that we just feel uncomfortable with because we consider them to be bad people. For instance, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They would walk around Samaria rather than walk through it because they didn't want to set their feet on this unholy sod. They didn't like the publicans. They said that the publicans were beyond salvation. So there were those people that they did not like. And there are people that we consider to be bad people and we have difficulty reaching out to those people. Today we're going to look at one such person. His name was Saul. Now, you know him better as the Apostle Paul, but before he came to know Christ, he was a bad person. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight And be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight. And he arose and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. All right, so we're going to look at this experience with this bad man named Saul. And we see first of all the call from God in verse number 11 when he said, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Now, as I looked at that verse of Scripture, I remembered so many times when the call of the Lord to his people was, Arise and go. For instance, he said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel. 
He said to Joshua, arise and cross the Jordan. He said to Philip, arise and go to Gaza. There is an Ethiopian eunuch there who needs to hear the gospel. And in our text, he said to Ananias, arise and go to this man named Saul. Who was Ananias? Well, the truth is his name was a somewhat common name. The Davis Dictionary of the Bible says, Ananias was the Greek form of Hananiah which means Jehovah has been gracious. So the name Ananias then means Jehovah has been gracious. That was the name of the high priest at this time. The scripture says that he lived in Damascus. We've become familiar with Damascus in recent days because we see it on the nightly news as a result of the civil war that is taking place in Syria. So we have seen Damascus on many occasions on the news. Damascus was an ancient city. In fact, it is one of the oldest cities in the world. It was a center of trade at that time, world trade at that time from Damascus. Davis wrote, three great trade routes center at Damascus. One leads southwestern to the Mediterranean seacoast and Egypt. Another runs south to Arabia. And the third crosses the desert to Baghdad. The city is very ancient. It is mentioned as early as the time of Abraham. In the days of David, Damascus was one of the several petty states of southern Syria. So when we are talking about this city that we still see on the news today, it was an ancient city dating all the way back to Abraham. It was a beautiful city. Now, as I have watched on the news, it isn't beautiful today, but it was then. The writers at that time referred to it as the Pearl of the Orient, the beautiful as Eden the fragrant paradise, the plumage of the paradise cock, the colored neck of the ring dove, the neckband of beauty, the Eden of the Muslim. It was said when Muhammad saw Damascus that he turned his eyes away and said, man can only have one paradise. My paradise is fixed above. So when we're talking about the city of Damascus, understand that it is an ancient city. It was an important city because of trade, and it was a beautiful city. It was historic. Elijah came to the city of Damascus. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, and Ananias lived in Damascus. So what do we know about this man? Well, we know that his name, Ananias, means that Jehovah has been gracious. We know that he was from Damascus, an historic city. And we know something about his character because it was written that he was a man of good report among the Jews. So here is Ananias, the man that God called. Now, when God called him, there was a hesitancy to go and share the good news with Saul. Saul's reputation had preceded him. And Ananias was familiar with him about his past. In chapter 8, verse number 3, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. 
he would put them in prison. So Ananias knew what he had been doing, that he had been attacking the church of God. He knew also that he had not changed because in chapter 9, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Ananias knew something about Saul. He knew about his past about his attack on the church, and he knew that he had not changed. He was still doing it. But here's the thing. God knew something about Saul also. Now look at verse number 11. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now I understand Ananias' hesitancy to go to Saul, but here we learn something else about Saul from God's perspective, and it's pretty impressive. He knew his location. He said he is on, he's in a house of Judas on the, on the street called Straight. Now, Barclay wrote, this was a great street that ran straight from the east to the west of Damascus. It was divided into three parts. A center part where the traffic ran and two sidewalks where the pedestrians thronged and where the merchantmen under canvas awnings sat in their little booths and plied their trade. If you have ever been to the Middle East, you have seen similar things. There is the street and then there's the place for shopping. So when he said that he is on a street called Straight, it would be like a main street to us. It is a commerce area. But isn't it interesting, at least it is to me, that the Lord said he is on a street called Straight in the house of Judas. Did you know that God knows where you are today? He knows that you're in church, but he knows that you're at First Baptist Church in Columbia. You know, sometimes we think that we're getting away with stuff. But God knows. Now, don't tell anybody that. But God knows. He knows where you've been. He knows what you're doing. He said, I want you to go to him. He is on Straight Street in the house of Judas. He also knew about his heritage. He said that he is a man from Tarsus. Now, that probably is not that impressive to us. But Paul was very proud of his hometown. The Bible says in Acts chapter 21, verse 39, Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. Paul was very proud of his hometown. He said, I am from Tarsus, no insignificant or no ordinary city. He said, the city that I'm from is different. The city that I'm from is an important place. He was very proud of his hometown. Barnes says this city was the capital of Cilicia, a province of Asia Minor. It was situated on the banks of the river Sidonus. It was to Tarsus that, Cleopa that Mark Anthony summoned for Cleopatra. So Cleopatra came to Tarsus to meet Mark Anthony. Barnes says it was distinguished for the culture of Greek philosophy and literature. 
so that at one time in its schools and in the number of its learned men, it was the rival of Athens and Alexandria. So the city of Tarsus then was a university town. In fact, it was said that the, that the primary export of Tarsus was scholars. It was a city of education. It was a city of universities. And so Paul said, I am from an, a city that is not insignificant. He said, this is an important city. So the Lord said, he's on the straight street. He is from Tarsus. And do you know that God knew what he was doing? Even at the time God knew what he was doing, he said, and he is praising. He is praying. He knew exactly what he was doing. God knows what you're doing. God knows what I'm doing. The Lord knows because he is omniscient. So we see, first of all, the call. He says, I want you to arise and go. And then secondly, we see the conflict in verse number 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. So Ananias said, now, wait a minute, Lord, you want me to go to this man named Saul? He says he has a, an evil reputation. Barnes says the expression here may indicate the state of a mind amazed that such a one should need his counsel and afraid perhaps of entrusting himself to one thus bent on persecution. He was hostile. Paul was hostile to the Christian faith. Verse number one, now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You need to understand about Saul that when he persecuted the church, he did so with a religious fervor, and we become familiar with that. There was a religious fervor about his persecution. The reason for that is because he saw Christianity as being in opposition to God. And so when he was persecuting the, the church, he was doing so in being faithful to his own beliefs, to his own religion. So Paul persecuted the church with a religious fervor, and Ananias was concerned about him. You want me to go to this man? You want me to go and, and share the good news with this man? He was very concerned about him. I understand that, and I'm sure you do as well. When the Lord said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and there preach the message of good news to them, Jonah said, uh, Lord, I'm, I think I'm going to go in, uh, somewhere else. And so he took off to Tarshish rather than to Nineveh. Now, why did he do that? Because Nineveh was the enemy of Israel. He didn't want to go there. See, we are threatened sometimes when we are supposed to share the good news with people who are bad. I remember once we were in Jerusalem and we were sitting there inside a coffee shop in Ben Yehuda and uh, looked out. There was a man when we were coming up. There was a man out there who was juggling. And I watched him as he juggled for a while because I knew what he was doing. But he was juggling and a crowd gathered. Now then after a while, when the crowd had gathered, he began to pass out tracts to the people who were there. And they began to yell at him and scream at him, and they literally ran him out of Ben Yehuda, the square where we were. You see, when we find ourselves in a position when it's a little threatening, then we are somewhat intimidated, and that was Ananias at this point. He said he has an evil reputation. He has a dangerous authority in verse number 14. 
He said, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. He said, Saul has the authority. You want me to go to this man, but the government has given him authority to bind all those who call upon his name. There are some people who intimidate us when we're called on to witness to them. Truth is, we are far more comfortable witnessing to weak people, aren't we? And, and we should. But the reason for that is because they obviously need something. They don't have anything. So they need Jesus. So it's an easy thing for us. because these. And not only that, but they don't have any authority. They don't have any ability to hurt us. And so we're more comfortable with that. But we are threatened when it comes to ministering, to witnessing to those who are powerful. First of all, what, are, what is their need? I mean, they, they have everything. They, they have money. They have power. They have authority. They have notoriety. They have all those things. And we feel uncomfortable like Moses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? So the point that I'm making is that when the Lord says to us, I want you to go to this, this might be a threatening position. This person might be a threatening person to us. And we're uncomfortable when God calls us. But do you know what? God has called us to witness to all people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. The call of the Lord to us is that we are to witness to all people. Now, having said that, I, I, I know that it's different than it was when I was growing up. Because when I, when I was growing up, there was a respect for the church. There was a respect for Christianity, even by those people who didn't go to church, even by those people who didn't believe in the Lord. There nevertheless was a respect. I also know that that is no longer so. In our country, that is largely untrue now. Perhaps you read last week, as uh, I did, about an army training session that was taking place in the session, the AFA, the American Family Association, was listed as a hate group by the Army. Now, the reason they were listed as a hate group is because they believe in traditional marriage. That's the position that they take, a position for traditional marriage. So they were listed as a hate group. Now, that was followed up on, and then the Army later came out and said, well, that is not official policy and so forth, and they have corrected it. But that has happened, that is not an isolated incident. So the point that I'm making is that I understand that it is not as easy today to be a Christian as it was when I was growing up. It is not as easy today to share the gospel with people as it was when I was growing up. And yet, we absolutely must be diligent to share the good news. We must. Howard Foshe wrote, Churches need to learn to put their message in the language of the people. And I think that we are trying to learn that. We need to learn that things have changed, that times have changed, that attitudes have changed. And we need to continue to be faithful with the message, but we have to put it in a form that the people today understand. That's the reason I have concluded. And one of the reasons that I challenge our young people especially if this generation is going to be one to Christ, you're going to do it. My generation is not. If this generation of young people growing up as they have grown up 
if they are going to be reached for Christ, then Christian young people are going to be the ones who reach them because they probably are not going to listen to me. And so you are the ones who become the messengers of God. So Ananias said, well, you know, I have a conflict here. He said, this man is dangerous. And then there's a choice to be made in verse number 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Now then Ananias had to make a choice. Was he going to be obedient to the Lord and do what God had told him to do, arise and go to this man? He had to make a choice because God had already chosen Saul. He said, I have chosen him. Ananias, even though he is threatening to you, I want you to go to him because I have chosen him. He said he is going to be a witness of mine to the Gentiles, and he was. The Bible says in Romans eleven thirteen, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. This is the Apostle Paul talking. I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. You see, Israel had rejected Christ. John 1.11 says he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. They were looking for a political Messiah who would set things straight politically, but Jesus came as a suffering servant, so they rejected him. But the gospel then began to spread across the Gentile nations. The Gentiles were being saved. Paul was a minister to them. The point is that there are people who will be receptive if we take the gospel to them, if we share the good news with them. The Lord said to Ananias, I want you to go to him. He is chosen by me. He is going to be a witness to the Gentiles and then to kings or to leaders. So in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul wrote, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Now there's one letter that is critical here and it's M. He said not many, he did not say not any. Not many wise, but there were some. Paul was a wise man. St. Augustine was a wise man. C.S. Lewis, a wise man. Jonathan Edwards, a wise man. Not many wise, but there were some. He said, not many mighty, but there were some. I remember when Linda and I had met with uh, George Bush 41, And in our conversation, he told us all about his family and all of that. In our conversation, then she asked him a question. She said, have you ever been born again? And he said, if you mean by that, have I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior? Absolutely. Not many, but there are some. Not many noble, but there are some. God said, I want you to go to him because he is going to be a witness of mine to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Jews. And Paul never forgot his kinsmen. In Romans 10:1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. There was a decision that had to be made, a choice that had to be made. And Ananias had to decide or choose if he were going to be faithful to God's call because God had chosen Saul. And then there's a cost in verse 17. And Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You see, folks, being a follower of Christ does not eliminate the cost. There is a cost. Bonhoeffer wrote a book, Cheap Grace, and he says that we are saved by grace, but it is not cheap. It costs to follow Christ. That's probably a message that we need to understand today. Because I think that we have the idea that if we just give our lives to the Lord, that it's going to be downhill and shady and the wind is going to be at your back. My friend, it is not that way. There is a cost. There was a cost for Ananias. He overcame his fear in verse number 13. Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about this man. How much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. There was that fear that he had to overcome. And then he responded in faith in verse 17. And Ananias departed obedient to the Lord. But there was a price for Paul in verse number 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Boy, that is not an appeal that you hear in most churches today. Come give your heart to Jesus and suffer. Today our appeal is come and give your heart to Jesus and be blessed, be prosperous. That's not what he said to Paul. He said, if you follow me, there is going to be suffering. Barnes said he would not merely profess repentance, but would manifest the sincerity of it by encountering trials and reproaches for his sake. And Paul did suffer. You can read in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27, the Bible says that he was beaten. On numerous occasions he was beaten because of his faith. The Bible says that he was stoned, which was the punishment for blasphemy. The Bible says that he was shipwrecked for 24 hours. He was in the water, probably holding on to a plank, struggling for his life. He faced dangers, he said. He was exposed. He faced exposures. He forfeited the comforts of his heritage to become a follower of Jesus Christ, but he was willing to pay the price. The Bible says in Philippians 3.8, Paul's testimony, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There was a cost to be paid. Paul paid it. Let me conclude. We're called to reach bad people. We're called to reach those people that, who intimidate us and we might not be comfortable with. But there is a cost to reach bad people. Jeremiah was called by the Lord. He was imprisoned in a cistern. He came to the place where he wanted to quit, to throw in the towel, But he said, but the word of God burned in my heart and I could not stay. There was a price to be paid and he paid the price. Ananias had a price to pay. He had to overcome his fear, but he paid the price. And ladies and gentlemen, if we are believers, if we know Jesus Christ, we must be willing to pay the price to share the good news because the gospel is for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is for all people. Who is in your circle that God expects you to be a witness to? 
Who is it that you come in contact with who is waiting to hear the good news from you? Intimidated, perhaps, but that is our assignment and the Holy Spirit will anoint you to do it if you're committed. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus. Help us to be faithful. Lord, in a time when it isn't easy, help us to be faithful to tell others about Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And my friend, if you have never committed your life to Christ, I pray you will today. We'll have staff members up here to pray with you to receive you. Let me encourage you to come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy because it isn't. But if you're a person who's willing to commit your life to Christ and trust yourself to him, I ask you to come today. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.